0: It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now.
1: This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Daughter Fighting Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, July 11th. The Run Towards the Danger edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's 8, and Teddy, who's 5. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
2: I'm Zach Rosen. I make the Best Advice Show podcast. I live in Detroit with my family. My oldest, Noah, is 4, and my youngest, Ami, is 1.
1: I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is nine, and we live in Los Angeles. Well, this week, we are excited to welcome filmmaker, writer, and former child actor, Sarah Pauly, to the show.
2: Yes, Sarah Pauly is truly one of my favorite filmmakers. She made Away From Her, Take This Waltz, and Stories We Tell, which is one of my favorite documentaries ever. And she's the author of a new collection I actually recommended a couple months ago, uh, a new collection of stories called run towards the danger and that title run towards the danger is some advice that sarah got from a doctor after a fire extinguisher fell on her head leaving her with just this terrible concussion that took her years to recover from we're going to get much deeper into that story today
1: oh my gosh well i can't even imagine the road to recovery well after a short break we are going to hear zach's interview with sarah Holly.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. Yep, while you're listening, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, or maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you can be doing right now. Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now quote your car insurance at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates national average 12 month savings of 744 dollars by new customers surveyed who saved with progressive between june 2022 and may 2023 potential savings will vary discounts not available in all states and situations
0: okay round two name something that's not boring
3: a laundry Ooh, a book club computer
0: solitaire huh oh.
2: Okay, we are going to get to our talk with Sarah Polly now. Before she became a filmmaker and a writer, she was an actress. When she was nine, she starred as Ramona Quimby in the TV series based on the Beverly Cleary novels. And she was the star of a Terry Gilliam movie when she was around that same age, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. As a teenager, she was in Go. I don't know if you ever saw Go. It's kind of a classic if you were born in the mid-80s. She was in The Sweet Hereafter, a bunch of things. And now she's a parent to three kids. In our conversation, we talk about her kids, her own boundaryless childhood, and the many ways in which suffering this wild traumatic brain injury in 2015 changed her as a person and as a parent. Here it is. You starred in a movie almost 20 years ago called My Life Without Me, where you play a young mom with terminal cancer. And that was well before you became a parent in real life, I believe. But did the experience of of dying on screen and like saying goodbye to your children in the oblique way you do in that movie, did that inform how you parent at all?
4: Absolutely, it did. And I think also because I'd lost my own mom when I was a kid, I sort of brought that layer to that movie. And then I was playing that and sort of, you know, in- inhabiting that for months. I do think that there's like a preciousness I feel to every day with my kids, which is really, I mean, I think that lots of people feel a preciousness with their kids, but me and my husband, both lost parents very young. Like I was 11 and David was seven. And I do think like, I noticed, like <laughs> I was saying to David, like, we have to make our birthday cards to our kids feel less like things they're going to find in a box one day. you know, like, they're so purposefully written with like everything we want to say to them about who they are, but also everything we want them to remember that they did with us. Like it almost feels like, like a resume, like, and when you were three, here are the things we did, like just in case you're a little foggy. And I think that there's too much, I mean, it's both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because there's this sense of preciousness and of like, you know we don't take a day for granted uh, but there it's also a curse in that like you can bring a lack of lightness you know what i mean like also great moments happen with kids with a lot of lightness and it's not that we don't have that but we could use more of it i think we could use more of like this sense of this this cloud over us that it that it's could or would end and you know we've all known people who've died when their kids are far too young and that certainly like informs a lot of how i make choices about how much time I spend with my kids, what I do with them. Um, But then you screw up just like everybody else. And that's what's really disappointing.
2: Do you get disappointed in your parenting a lot?
4: Yes. I feel like that's my baseline state is disappointed in my parenting. And it's weird. Like a friend of mine has this theory, which isn't backed up by anything at all, but I like it as an idea. I mean, I don't like it as an idea, but I, I sort of, it rings true for me, which is that COVID, like when people get kind of, bad case of it kind of hits you where you're weak so like you know i have a friend like all their injuries were hurting again that they'd resolved over a long time like i had really bad asthma but one of the things that came out for me was like i had been working on my guilt around parenting and around like just feeling guilty all the time about what i was doing and not doing and covid sunk me back three years like that month was just like every moment of every day i was reanalyzing about like what i had you know done wrong and
2: you're saying when you had covid
4: when I had COVID, yeah, I just went into this guilt spiral around my parenting, which is my weak spot for sure, and it's not helpful for my kids. Like, what I've noticed is when I've licked it—not licked it completely—but when it's gotten better and I've been letting myself off the hook more, and actually like not caught, caught in a guilt spiral, they're so much happier. I'm a way better parent, you know. Like, they feel it. Like, guilt is just like not of service to anyone. And my ten-year-old said it to me the other day. Like, I was so upset because I'd lost. Something that they needed for school, and we were late. And I was kind of like upset with myself. And I was like, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe we're going to be. I'm going to make you late. And I haven't found the thing. And Eve just turned to me and went, "You know, the only thing that's actually going wrong in this house right now is how angry you are at yourself. Nothing else is actually that big a deal."
2: Your ten year old said that. Yeah, so good. And
4: I was like, "That's so helpful. Thank you so much." They were like, "If you know, if I'm a few minutes late for school, no one's going to really care that much. If I forget this thing." my teacher's gonna understand but having to be in a house with you being really upset with yourself like that sucks i mean you experience parental guilt i know this i know this about you Of course, (laughs) it's just and so what have you just
2: knowing that it's we have a billion opportunities to be better you know so like yeah i fucked up this morning but tomorrow morning i can try to be a little better it's just we're constantly auditioning and it's like so that helps you know, and frankly, just saying the thing that I feel guilty about, which mom and dad are fighting gives me the opportunity to do. It's like most people don't get the chance to just like vent and talk about the ways in which they have failed just getting it out. So saying that, you know, to your partner or whomever or your kid um, is hugely helpful, too.
4: It's therapeutic to listen to for that reason, I find. It's just like listening to people talk about the ways they've, you know, let themselves down, let their kids down. Like, I do find that Really, really helpful instead of like carrying it around quietly, I think is tough.
2: You wrote something in your new book. I think it speaks to your childhood and now who you are as a parent. And I want to talk about it if you don't mind reading it out loud.
4: I'm constantly comparing the boundaryless childhood I had with my own children's, wondering if I'm protecting them enough or if I'm being overprotective in response to feeling too vulnerable myself.
2: Yeah. So you're constantly comparing these two periods in your life how do you actually like cuz you talk about how you 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 don't just parent instinctively you're actually like thinking long and hard um about these decisions so i guess just how do you how do you finally make these decisions like how do you move through um parenting decisions and discussions
4: i mean i really like talking to people i like talking to other parents a lot i like talking to my kids a lot now that they're older about it and i'm finding they they've sort of become my best guides in terms of like just sort of like trying to work things out and hash things out with them. I mean, i didn't have really rules when i was growing up and i was working when i was a tiny kid and yeah, it's a lot of mental work for me to sort of go like oh, that's a no or this these are our rules cuz rules were not something i grew up with, but i think i felt tremendously insecure as a kid because of that lack of structure and boundaries. So you know i'm not into like being super strict and super structured but having some of it i find can be of comfort to my kids and just like kind of knowing what's expected or not but i i also feel like i'm discovering more and more that my kids are very very different from each other and need very different things from me which isn't to say like i morph my personality for each one of them but like i'm becoming more attuned to one kid needing one thing and another kid needing another and that doesn't mean like different sets of rules for everybody but just an awareness that I don't want to be this like monolithic set of boundaries and rules. Like it's, I don't know who I'm doing that for or why I'm finding more, uh, it's turning into more conversations. And, and again, like, it goes back to the thing of like reanalyzing your own stories and what you're bringing into the present from the past. I've had this really interesting experience lately with Eve where, you know, Eve is obsessed with being a child actor and I was traumatized by being a child actor. It was awful for me. And I've been very vocal and written a lot and talked a lot about how damaging I think it can be for kids to be in film and television professionally. So as a sort of antidote to that, we've set up, you know, here's this musical theater club you can do. Here's a camp you can do. And that's been great. But Eve's been really consistent. No, I want to do this professionally. And I'm like, you got the wrong mother. And there is this situation lately. It's kind of a long story, but basically... My brother's a casting director and and was casting a film recently, which was all these kids and Eve ended up being over there watching all these kids auditioning on zoom and was like, I really want to try this. And I was like, no, I just, we can't. And, and then I was like, okay, if you want to do the audition, great, but we can't do the part. But if you want the experience of doing an audition, go for it. And when you're an adult, if you want to be an actor, I'll support it. But right now it's just the audition. So Eve did really well. And then, you know, there was suddenly a lot of interest in Eve doing it. And I had to suddenly go like, oh my God, like I watched the director. She was amazing with kids. Like I would be the adult with Eve on set. Like, would this be so bad? And I remember going to a friend of mine who's like my sort of wise person in my life. And he just really thoughtfully said, do you have a red line around anything else? Like as a parent? And I said, no, like everything else is something I would at least willing to have a conversation about. And he said, and then I think you kind of have to look at that. And so I sort of said to Eve, like, you know, if you want, we can talk about this. They seem really interested in you. And Eve said, I want to do it. <laughs> Turned down the part. And I, I was like stunned. Eve is out of the writing for the part that all they want to do is be a child actor. And I just wonder, I mean, I'll talk about this with Eve in 10 or 20 years and get more clarity. But my gut is that there was a sense that I was bringing my own childhood garbage to a conversation. And until that got broken down and taken out of the way, like Eve was going to push and push and push. And then it went away and Eve was like, okay, we're all clear now. Because like that was this red line I was bringing from my experience that was, you know, do I think kids should act professionally in film? No, I I actually just think if a parent is asking my advice, no, my answer is no, wait till they're older. But, you know, this was a very specific situation where I as a formerly traumatized child actor would be shepherding. (laughs) this kid with this great director um and i was bringing the same red line like i was unwilling to look and i just think it's interesting how i feel like my kid sensed that and the reason they were pushing and pushing on this specific issue beyond actually genuinely loving acting was like i smell a rat here like this isn't like you and i think i was bringing my own story to my ex- my relationship to my kid in a way that wasn't quite fair
2: and so are they not asking anymore to be a, a professional actor? Not really. Oh, my God.
4: Not really. Wow. Seems to have died down. They're doing their, like, amateur theater thing. I'm super happy with it. And, like, kids' theater group. So it may come back up. But, yeah.
2: That's incredible.
4: <laughs> I think it was, like, a psychological test.
2: And you passed.
4: I think I did. It, I mean, I think I did. I wish it, I hadn't spent two years being, like, absolutely not. You got the wrong mother for this. but yeah
2: can we talk about the fire extinguisher so october 20th 2015 can you bring me back to that date at the ymca
4: yeah sure i was at my local community center and i just finished doing a swim and i realized i'd left my blow dryer the fall the week before and i went rummaging around in the lost and found bin and it was like kind of I had to like sneak past this giant freestanding poster to get to it, which meant I could only access it from like underneath this giant industrial sized fire extinguisher. And when I stood up, it dislodged the fire extinguisher with my shoulder somehow. And it smashed on my left side of my head. And what ensued from that was like three and a half years of struggling with a pretty debilitating concussion. And I had good periods in there. But never back up to my original baseline and a lot of periods where I was just not functional.
2: So much so that you are just on the sideline as a parent, right?
4: Yeah. There's a lot of like not being able to take the kids to swimming or not being able to walk them to school. And, um, you know, I managed to find really great ways of spending time with them in that state. Like I, I learned to be more still and like sit on the floor. And like, I did a lot of that anyway, but it was really forced me into this getting out of the type A, getting everything done mode and into a very present mode with them. But it was also really hard to not in those times be able to be more actively involved with their life in the outside world.
2: I'm just curious from like a logistical perspective, your partner sounds like a wonderful person. What was that like watching him carry so much extra parental weight on, on his shoulders?
4: I mean, he, there was, there were periods of time where he was having to do almost everything. And, you know, I think it would have broken most people. David is someone who loves a challenge. Like he really thrives on rising above in impossible circumstances. And he's done that his whole life. And so if it was anybody else. I think it would have been devastating. I think he just loved knowing he could do all of that. And you know, it and it, again, I've never met anyone like David, I, I just don't know who else would have responded in that way. But also, it just felt horrible to not be able to have, be of more help, you know,
2: today, it's, uh we're seven years past that accident. Like, how are you? How are you feeling?
4: Brain wise, I'm great. I'm really like, I went to this amazing clinic in Pittsburgh, the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And I saw this amazing doctor called Dr. Michael Collins. And, His advice to me is what the title of the book is, which is Run Towards the Danger. So I was doing a lot of avoiding activities that stimulated my symptoms, lying down in the middle of the day, having naps, like all the things that traditionally sort of been told to do with a concussion. The advice is generally changing for the better now. But his advice was, okay, I'm going to give you all these very specific exercises, physical exercises, vestibular exercises, but a big part of your recovery is exposure therapy, basically. Like you have to go into all the environments that bother you. You have to deal with more light and noise. Like your brain has become weaker at what you've been avoiding. And so in order to train your, your brain back to strength, you're going to have to expose yourself to the things that scare you. And that was an amazing experience. It was a really tough six weeks and really painful. And again, it was scaffolded by very specific exercises. Like I wouldn't want someone with a concussion, like just running and doing this without seeking medical treatment. but um, I came out of it stronger than I've ever been physically and mentally, because I was, you know, it's a paradigm shift, and that becomes a way of approaching everything. Like if you start running towards the danger and going towards the things that are hard for you in one part of your life, it starts to bleed into the others and it just opened up whole worlds for me. Like I'd always wanted to write a book, but I was never gonna write a book. Like, who was I to write a book? And then, you know, the book came out of that. And making another film, which I hadn't done for 10 years, and just a lot of stuff that I didn't think I could do, I just started doing. And I think that's why I've become kind of cynical about the idea of self. It's like, I was listening to myself a lot, and myself was telling me all the things I couldn't do, and it was wrong.
2: You describe, after having this first uh, consultation with Dr. Michael Collins, you, you talk about being stunned into a new way of perceiving things. I just found that that sentence was just such a refreshing one to hear. He totally changed the trajectory of your life there. When he was telling you that initially, did you believe it?
4: Yeah, I think that's the main thing with him is he makes you believe you're going to get better. And it seems crazy. And if you're to use your rational mind, especially if you've been suffering with a concussion for years and years, you're like, you're a charlatan if you're going to make these kinds of promises. but he was like, I'm 100% sure you're going to get better and faster than you think but you're going to have to work really hard. But it was like having a really intense football coach, you know, just someone yelling at you from the sidelines. And it was very motivating. He said to me at the very end of my meeting with him that first day and all of the tests and assessments, he said, how confident are you that this will work? And I was like very Canadian in my response. I was like, well, I guess pretty confident, which like in Canadian is like, hell yeah. And he was like, well, what you've been doing so far hasn't been working very well. So it's worth giving it everything you have. And I realized that's what it took. It took giving it everything I had. Like, I know people who've done that treatment and the people who do every single thing he says and like they blast themselves into, you know, into activity. They do not take naps during the day. They do their exercise every single day. They seem to get better. I'm sure not everybody, but I have met people who've done it like three quarters and have not had the same results as I have. But I think the thing is like it's this kind of, having a confidence that's going to work is essential. But this idea of like being stunned into a new way of perceiving things, like I went with my friend, Kate, um, and we talk a lot about parenting and we kind of went back with a lot of different ideas about how to be a good parent. Like I was very much like, you know, and I still am like, I come from a kind of pretty soft place and a pretty nurturing place and wanting to be there to capture your kid's feelings and, And to just witness them and walk alongside them. And I kind of realized like the way I was helping my kids process anxiety was like a bit limiting. Like it was like I was taking their anxiety so seriously that I'm not sure they were seeing how much they could do alongside their anxiety. But my youngest who, you know, I've had more time with since this treatment has a very different relationship to anxiety just out of the gate. So no one's told her anxiety is a bad, terrible, awful thing to be avoided. So like, Amy's first swimming lesson, and they haven't really been anywhere because they're like four and they've been grabbing COVID and they haven't been like, she hasn't been in school or anything. And she was like walking into her swimming class, shaking so much, she was almost convulsing. And I was like, Are you cold? And she's like, No, I'm just really, really nervous. And I was like, Are you okay? And she's like, I can't wait. And like, just like ran into the pool, proceeded to shake like leak the entire time. And I thought, They're not going to want to do this again. They're going to run into the pool and stop. No, it was like no big deal. She was like, I was shaken a lot because I was so scared, but I love it. Can we go back next week? And it was like, she just has a relationship to anxiety, which isn't like, oh, there's my stop sign. It's just like, oh, I happen to feel this thing, but I can do it still, I can still do this awesome thing I want to do.
2: And so I'm just thinking about she was kind of leading in that moment, but in these other moments when your kids are are coming to you or you're, you know, feeling kind of overprotective about this or that, how does running toward the danger kind of make you shift the way you're going to be in those moments?
4: I think just being willing to ask the hard questions and have the uncomfortable conversations and make sure everything isn't like, act yeah, with them or with with me and David or with friends, like just to make sure we're not acting out of our own like phobias. Like we're having a big discussion right now about technology because we've been really intense about it. Like we, Definitely allowed a lot more television during the pandemic because we were both home with three kids and no health for a really long time um, and working. Um, but like we're you know, scaling that back now. But like my kids have never had an iPad, they don't do anything interactive, they've never really played a video game. And I'm kind of going, okay, like we have to have this conversation now. Like it's not that we have to do something differently, but we have to address our own terror of what these things mean. Like we've seen so many kids in our lives stop reading and just be on Minecraft until midnight and they're sleep deprived and their attention is all over the place. And like, there's so much that we see that like, we don't want our kids to stop drawing and playing a games and doing all this stuff. But we're both a bit phobic about it. Like, it's clear, like we're a bit terrified and I don't think it's a good place from which to be making decisions. Like, I think What we have to do now is like do some really intense research about like some of these things may not be as harmful as we think. Some of them may actually be really creative. How do we put boundaries and limits around them? Is that possible? What are our kids missing socially by not being the kid who's playing online with their friends at night? Is that worth the trade-off? Maybe it Like is. I'm not convinced we're right or wrong here, but just being willing to have the conversation that scares us because for some reason both of us bring a lot of fear to this conversation. It may be because both of us spent most of our childhood just like sitting in front of a TV endlessly. But I think the thing is, is to actually like have the questions and find out as opposed to just being like, don't bring that thing into my house. (laughs) Because, you know, it's not... Doesn't seem particularly healthy.
2: Just to finish, what are you most excited about today about being a parent?
4: I just love how it changes all the time. Like I just love, I mean, I used to, I used to not like that as much. I'm like, I think by nature, kind of a control freak, but I'm changing, but I feel like I used to hate how you just have worked something out and the rug would get pulled out and you had to relearn everything because they're always in motion. And now I just love that. Like I love, I love that there are these like new people developing like every few months and my kids are just in a really sweet spot right now. All of them just seem very happy with their lives at the same time, which with three kids is I think you've got to treasure these moments. I don't think they come often. I think one thing I'm really loving is like when we make time to have one-on-one time, you know, because they're it's so fun all being together, but just having those long conversations and getting to give them all of my attention as opposed to always being divided. I'm really loving. Like my oldest two kids who are eight and, you know, 10 or almost eight and 10, just being at this point where you can sort through dilemmas with them and like really have them bring really interesting insights to the table and helping you see things in new ways. Like I'm really enjoying that.
2: Sarah Pauly is the author of the new collection of essays run towards the danger.
1: Maybe you're a mother or someone who does a lot of mothering in your life, or maybe you're trying to figure out whether you can or want to be a mother. Well, imagine being invited into a conversation where instead of getting a lot of advice thrown your way and nobody asks you how you're really doing, there's actually space and time and curiosity for all the stuff it feels like you aren't usually allowed to ask. Where mothers from all walks of life are sharing wisdom they've never been asked to share before. And the hosts of the party Tasha Haverty and Julia Metzger-Traber bring a warmth and sense of humor that assures you you are welcome too. They have a new podcast called Mother is a Question. We live and breathe parenting here, and after hearing Mother is a Question, I think this show is really special and unlike anything I've heard. Listen and subscribe to Mother is a Question wherever you get your podcasts.
3: and Sam Fader, director of the Netflix documentary, Disclosure, about the depiction of trans people in film and television. We'll dive deeper into this season and talk about the lasting impact of the Briggs Initiative and the continued fight over LGBTQ rights in schools. It'll be the perfect way to celebrate Pride Month this June with LGBTQ stories and voices across generations. Again, that's June 13th at the Tribeca Film Festival in New York. You can get tickets now at tribecafilm.com slowburn. Hope to see you there.
1: Okay, well, it's time for some recommendations. Jamila, what do you have for us? I am recommending Lemon Perfect Lemon Water. It is water that has a tiny little bit of lemon juice and a little stevia in it. So it's not quite, you know, grandma's lemonade, but it's a sweet enough treat. We've had the conversation with the pediatrician about cutting out juice, which was something that we weren't really drinking anyway. But if you're looking for something to replace juice for a kid or an adult who's water adverse, I would suggest trying lemon. Perfect. It's pretty tasty. I am recommending the Pina, which is an app that um, has podcasts and audiobooks just for kids with our kind of extremely heavy consumption of audiobooks and podcasts combined with the road trips we're taking (laughs) this summer. I was trying to figure out a way that like everyone could kind of listen to what they wanted some in the car without us having to play everything um, all as a family. Although I do love some family listening, it's nice also to have those options like when we're laying down at night and this kind of has everything in one place. You can download stuff. It's got audiobooks. It's got your um, typical kids' podcasts, your uh, Julie's Library, things like that on there. But they also have some really great original podcasts that the kids are enjoying. So we've been doing Pina, which is an app. You know, you pay for the service. But we've been giving it a try for the summer. There's some free podcasts on there you can listen to and give a try as well. Full disclosure, Peanut is owned by our parent company, Graham Holdings. But this isn't an ad. We are using this in the car and have just really come to enjoy this as a way to have the kids have some control over what they're listening to without me worrying about it.
2: And lastly, I'll recommend Sarah Pauly's films. We've talked a lot about Sarah Pauly today, but she's really incredible. And if you want a really just incredible documentary, Stories We Tell, it's about Sarah trying to figure out this burning question she's trying to solve um, about her family it'll make you think in new ways about your family and how stories shape us all it's a masterpiece i think and i think you can watch it on the imdb app for free right now
1: awesome well that's it for our show we'll be back in your feeds on thursday subscribe to the show so you don't miss it if you rely on this show for parenting advice consider signing up for slate plus it's the best way to support the show members will never hear another ad on any other slate podcast to sign up now, go to Slate.com slash mom and dad plus. Again, that's Slate.com slash mom and dad plus. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Christy Taiwo McAndjula, Jasmine Ellis, and Rosemary Belson. For Zach Rosen and Jamila Lemieux, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Thanks for listening.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.